We'll continue in Isaiah this afternoon. Uh, we've been looking at the various oracles against the nations in Isaiah, going through all the different oracles, and we spent two weeks in the oracle against Egypt, and now we're continuing that oracle uh, with chapter 20 uh, with a historical narrative that appears in the uh, uh, attached as a postfix to the oracle. Maybe it should be counted as part of the oracle itself, or maybe just uh, an, an addition that appropriately applies here, but this falls within uh, this section. So go ahead and please stand and turn to Isaiah 20, and we'll read the whole chapter together. Isaiah 20, in the year that the commander-in-chief who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and fought against it and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives, and with the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, the nakedness of Egypt. Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush their hope, and of Egypt their boast. And the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, this is what has happened to those in whom we have hoped and to whom we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we, how shall we escape? You may be seated. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. I ask that you would uh, make your message clear for us this morning. Pray that you would use me to deliver your words plainly. I pray that the people here would have their hearts open and their ears open. Uh, by your spirit, they might hear your truth. And God, I pray that you would uh, do your work among us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The end of our life, on Judgment Day, we will stand before God either proud or ashamed. Those are the only two options. If we are proud, we will be proud in what the Lord has done through us. Or if we are ashamed, it will be we will be ashamed because of what we have put our hope in. Now, the way the, word, the Bible uses the word ashamed very often is not necessarily to speak of one's present conditions, but of one's emotions having trusted in something that has failed them. You know, if you just go through and look at all the time the Bible speaks of being ashamed, you will find that this is often the case. In Romans 1.16, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of, of uh, Christ because of the power of God for salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When the Bible says that, why was he not ashamed? Because it is the power of God to salvation. Because on that final day, it will not fail him. One is ashamed when what they have relied on fails. And so here, when Isaiah speaking God's words about Egypt and the people who have consistently wanted to go back to Egypt so many times before and at this time in Israel's history want to go rely on Egypt to defend them from their enemies. 
God is saying that they will be ashamed if they rely on them rather than on him. The only way they can avoid being ashamed is to rely on him instead. So we're going to look at this passage, and and Isaiah is going to say very clearly that uh, he's going to speak of this nakedness, and this nakedness points to uh, Israel's shame, and the only way we can avoid this shame is by looking to Christ. Let's begin here in verse 1. And the year that the commander-in-chief who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and fought against it and captured it. At that time, the Lord spoke by Amos, the son of, or excuse me, by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. So, uh, just considering the timing of this event, at that time, the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos. I think the right way of understanding this is not that uh, at this time he goes and looses the sackcloth from his feet. Because in verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked around naked and barefoot. I believe that this is what God speaks at that time. And this is generally how this is understood by people that uh, study this passage and uh, consider the history of Israel, is that God had told Isaiah to walk around naked and barefoot. And so in this year, he then tells Isaiah to speak these words. Because think about this, if the Lord is speaking by Isaiah, why would he speak to Isaiah, right? The, the words that he is speaking by Isaiah start in verse 3. Not, they are not specifically the words in verse 2. So this attack comes after Isaiah has been doing this act, right? He has been, uh, he has taken off his clothes, he is going around naked, and he is uh, demonstrating something to the people of Israel. And this is, and then this event occurs to show what it was that Isaiah was demonstrating all during that time. Now people have asked, is Isaiah really naked (laughs) when he's doing this, or is he just, does he just have a a loincloth on or something like that? If you consider what it says, uh, you know, the normal uh, use of the word naked, and then on top of that, it speaks of uh, his sackcloth. It says, go loose the sackcloth from your waist. Basically, uh, what is the purpose of sackcloth? It's to feel abrasive. Isaiah's already in some kind of state of mourning. It's to feel abrasive against him. It's supposed to be his underwear, right? This is the part that's actually touching his skin. If God is telling him to remove that, he's actually telling him to be naked. So it's, uh, it's very common to want to, for reasons understanding, you know, what the Bible considers to be propriety about these things, to say, oh no, there's no way he could have uh, Isaiah do this. You know, uh, God calls another prophet to go marry a prostitute, right? There's all kinds of things that happen in the Bible that rub against moral sensibilities. But I think there's good reason to just uh, take this simply as what, it's, as what is stated here, not uh, try to mitigate it in some way. So Isaiah is doing this act, and it's this very, uh, it's for a reason that God doesn't just speak by words, and he speaks by actions in this circumstance. There's another prophet uh, who does this much more commonly. If you ever read the book of Ezekiel, it's sign act after sign act after sign act. Uh, a sign act being, you know, he does something to demonstrate 
something and the people don't know what it is until afterward. Then he gives the interpretation of what he did. You know, God says, lay on your side for a long period of time, uh, build a, a mock city and then do this to it. And then later explain to the people what you were doing. So when God speaks in this way, by having his prophets do these signs, not miraculous signs, but just normal signs, it is to give us uh, a very visceral image of what's going on, right? If Isaiah is going around naked and God required his prophet to do this, uh, just very humiliating thing, it was not without cause. God loved his servant Isaiah. He would only have him do this if he wanted so much to communicate to us in such a, a visceral manner how great the shame would be of relying on someone other than the Lord. So as you consider, why is this odd passage in here? It's to leave a mark on your mind, on your psyche, as you read this, that, wow, this shame is a great thing if God would require this of his prophet to show it. So in verse 3, Then the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, the nakedness of Egypt. So, uh, very literally, this refers to the nakedness of Egypt. Uh, Isaiah's nakedness refers to the nakedness of Egypt. This is something that Assyria would do to humiliate their captives. They would uh, cut off their clothes and have them uh, march back to Assyria as captives, naked. And this is something you see elsewhere in scripture too. Uh, if you remember, David sent messengers to Hanun in order to comfort him, and Hanun, his advisors told him, these have to be spies, they can't really be here to comfort you, and so he cuts off their clothes at their waist, so they have to go back uh, with their lower half uncovered. So this is something you see elsewhere in scripture where people would do this to humiliate others. And uh, we have other examples of nakedness in the Bible to let us know that this is supposed to represent shame. Uh, we have Micah, who, uh, who was uncovered for a period of time to show the coming shame on Israel. There was also Saul, who by the Holy Spirit was led to prophesy naked to represent the coming shame of his ministry, or excuse me, of his, uh, of his kingship. You know, given that he would eventually be uh, this fallen king. Uh, verse 5. Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush their hope and of Egypt their boast. So here it very directly says that this nakedness refers to shame. They will be ashamed because they have hoped in Cush. They will be ashamed uh, because they hoped in Egypt. You know, Cush and Egypt being uh, powers that work together that are close to each other. Um, yeah, just making sure I didn't miss something. Okay. So, ever since the Garden of Eden, uh, God has used nakedness to represent shame, right? In the Garden of Eden, they were naked and they were unashamed, but then when they ate of the fruit, they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed. And so God had to make a sacrifice for them to clothe them and cover them. And then they were no longer ashamed because of their nakedness. 
And so that's what God is pointing out to this people. That they must not hope in something else. They must not boast in, in these other things that will leave them ashamed. Instead, they must only boast in the Lord. Because the Lord will not leave them ashamed. And this analogy of clothing is this not the first time it showed up in Isaiah either. Consider Isaiah 1, where it said, Though your clothes are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. God has been, from the beginning of Isaiah, calling the people to come to him for right clothing, to come to him for full garments. The one who comes to God receives clothing so that he will not be ashamed on the day of judgment. Galatians 3 says that the one, all who have been baptized in Christ, will be clothed by Christ. The one who comes to Jesus Christ is fully clothed is unashamed. And remember, that, that phrase, ashamed, has to do with uh, realizing that the thing you trusted in, that the thing you had counted as, as sufficient for you to be enough. Because why would you be ashamed merely because of your condition? Maybe certain conditions are more shameful than other, but they say something about who you are, about what you have done. And if you are sitting in this condition because of the course of action you took, because of the thing you tried to put your trust in, right? You know, there's all kinds of stupid things that people do that leave them in terrible conditions. You know, they invest all their money into, I remember when I was in the, back in the 90s, you know, Beanie Babies or something, think, oh yeah, this is a great investment, it'll pay off great later. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that one ended up working out. And you are ashamed because you acted so foolishly and you did not trust the thing kind of things you should have trusted. These people are trusting in Assyria and Cush because they've got a lot of horses, but they have not trusted in the Lord God who is almighty and greater than all the kings of the earth. And the inhabitants of the coastland will say in that day, behold, this is what has happened to those in whom we hoped and to whom we have fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we, how shall we escape? So the inhabitants of the coastlands here might refer to Ashdod and the region around Ashdod, but it more likely refers to those who have been taken away to the coastlands of Egypt. And uh, just some thoughts on, on Ashdod, this particular nation. So yeah, let me step back and kind of explain historically what's going on here, right? Isaiah has for three years, walked around naked, not explained what he's doing or why he is doing this. And the people, then, uh, then they see what happens when Assyria comes and, uh, and attacks Ashdod. Now, historically, outside of the Bible, so within the Bible, within Sola Scriptura, we can just easily see that, you know, something has happened to make a down payment on what God is saying. Eventually, you know, you will be ashamed. Like this time when you are destroyed, you will be ashamed. Uh, outside of the Bible, there's a little more detail here. The, the leader of Ashdod, the city within uh, Judea, went down to uh, Egypt and was sent back from Egypt. <laughs> they didn't even help him. So it, it's very clear that uh, God is saying, you cannot trust Egypt. You can trust me, but you cannot trust Egypt. And we, how shall we escape? You know, if it is, if they have trusted in Cush and Egypt, who are supposed to be stronger than them, how can we escape? You know, if these are more great and they have been destroyed, how will we not also be destroyed? And this is the case for everyone. 
who has trusted in something other than the Lord. You know, your money will one day all be nothing. If it will be nothing, how can you trust in it? Your family, your friends, one day they will all die. If they will die and you have trusted in them to keep you safe, how will you be safe? Anything in this world will have a final end. And if you trust in that thing that will end, how will you live forever? You must trust in one who is greater, who does live forever, who can give eternal life. And that one is only Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he is a sign for us. You know, it says that, uh, it said in Isaiah 8 that Isaiah was a sign, right? He said, I am my sons are signs and portents for Israel. Here he is walking around as a sign, but we have another sign very similar that we have been given. We have been given Jesus Christ. Simeon said that he was a sign to those who, uh, to those who would oppose him, the sign of judgment. The Bible speaks of Jesus walking around in humility for three years during his earthly ministry with no place to lay his head. This was a sign to those who would oppose him of, of the humility they would experience if they did not trust in him. And then Jesus, as he goes to the cross, fulfilling this humility completely, is naked on the cross. The Bible speaks of it many times as being naked. I know a lot of you have seen uh, images of Christ where he's depicted as wearing some kind of robe or loincloth, and I know they gave him a purple robe to mock him, but they took that away before they put him up on the cross. You know, it says they divided his garments. He was up on the cross literally without clothes. What does that show? That shows shame. That nakedness shows shame. And he is a sign for all those who oppose him up there on the cross. This is what happens to everyone who is not trusted in God because Jesus died as one who did not have a right relationship with God. This is what he was accused of, of being opposed to God. And so he's a sign for all. This is what the wrath of God looks like, to die naked and ashamed. But the wonderful thing about the cross is that it's not just a sign for those who are opposed to him like Isaiah was, right? Isaiah is telling people of this impending doom. Now, implicitly, there's this call to trust God, but really, the, the main sign you see here is for doom. But Christ, as he is lifted up on the cross, dying naked, he is a sign primarily for all those who would trust in him, that this man has borne the shame of all those who deserve it, of all those who have trusted in other things, of all those who have, who have, uh, who have not set their hope in God and not uh, done as they ought in this life and have opposed God. If you repent, if you turn from that sin to Jesus Christ, looking to him for forgiveness, because he has died naked on this cross, cross uh, in this shameful manner, because he has done so, you may dwell with God forever with perfect clothing, perfect righteousness, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Your nakedness can be placed on Jesus Christ and his perfect righteousness and his clothing of righteousness can be placed on you so that you will stand before God forever. You know, the Bible, just from the, from the very beginning all the way to the end, the metaphor of clothing and uh, nakedness is fairly frequent and constant. And this is what it is pointing to. You do not want to stand before God naked and ashamed. You want to trust in the one who died naked in a shameful way 
so that you can have his clothing and his righteousness. Because he was resurrected from the dead, given the right hand, thrown uh, next to God, and sits in clothed in glory and honor. And you can sit clothed in glory and honor with him forever. If you do not trust in Egypt, Cush, or any other means you have here on earth, but only go to him. Consider whether it is that you do go to him. You know, a lot of people think that they trust in the Lord because that's just a thing you say. But it expresses itself in some kind of action. It expresses itself in prayer. How much are you really trusting in the Lord if you're not going to him in prayer? These are things that you can look at in your life and see. Go to the Lord. Trust in him. Do not trust in yourself, but trust in him. And as you look to Jesus Christ on the cross, that one who died naked in a shameful way can save you from ever having to be naked in the presence of God. And you can have perfect clothing forever and ever in righteousness and glory with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ who clothes us in righteousness, that all those who are baptized into him are clothed in him. Uh, we thank you for this wonderful and glorious truth. And we know that we, having this truth, rather than being ashamed, we can boast in you and what you have done and go boldly before the world, honoring you, proclaiming you with our lips. In Jesus' name, amen.